Morning, good to see you all. I, I feel, you know, we do a lot of series here. We'll go from one series to another at Connect. And I'd like to think that as we look back over the years, you would say, I loved that series. I loved the deep theology. I loved the deep meaning and the teaching that you brought out of that day. But I feel like people will be like, you know what I liked? I liked that one series that had that music at the beginning. They went, or that one song that used to start. Because like every series has a distinct sound. And this one is Turn Down the Drama. So we've been in this series for a few weeks now. We're going to finish it off next Sunday. So you'll get to hear that little jingle one more time. But um, we're going to talk about a specific element of drama. And to set up for that, I wonder, have you ever said something that right after saying it, you wish you could unsay? Yeah? That, that actually happens a regular basis in my life, okay? There are some good friends of mine who uh, could list all the stories of things they're like, Dave, you didn't really say that. I was like, yeah, that's what I said. They're like, you just need to stop talking to people. But I like people, so I talk to people. And um, this happened a few weeks ago. It was actually our Father's Day service. Uh, there's a good friend of mine who attends Connect, and uh, he'd shown up a few weeks before wearing a T-shirt, and I was like, hey, dude, I've got the same T-shirt. That's, that's awesome. He's like, really? I said, yeah. So... Um, it's a great t-shirt, it's gray, it's got a blue stripe, and what color is the other stripe? Is it coral? Apparently it's coral, so blue and a coral stripe. So um, a couple of weeks later, it was our Father's Day service, we were outside, so I wore shorts that day and, um, and a t-shirt. So I got dressed and I got into setup, and this friend of mine, he's on the setup team, and as we're carrying a table together, um, he's wearing that shirt. And I was like, that's funny. I said, I almost wore that shirt this morning. He said, I was going to call you and tell you I was wearing it in case you wore it as well, because that would be awkward if we were both wearing the same shirt. I was like, no, no, no. I said, I was going to wear it, but my blue shorts weren't clean. And obviously, you'd wear that shirt with blue shorts, because it doesn't go with my khaki shorts. He's like, oh. And we set down the table. Yeah. <laughs> He was wearing his khaki shorts. Uh, and I was like, oh, no, I mean, it goes really well with the khaki shorts. And he's like, no, no, it doesn't. So uh, instantly, as soon as the words were out of my mouth, I was like, I hope he's not wearing khaki shorts. And he sets down the table and he's wearing. So I, this happens to me a lot. I say things and normally uh, we laugh about it afterwards. But sometimes in our lives, people can say something and uh, maybe it's not quite as funny. Maybe it, it kind of hurts a little bit inside. And that's what we're going to talk about in the context of drama this morning. Because you see, over the last few weeks, we've talked about the drama in our lives, and we've tried to talk about what we can do to head that drama off. We talked about two of the biggest culprits of drama, our pride and anger. And really, at the source of most drama in our lives, you'll find one or both of those elements. And if we want to turn down the drama in our lives, then we're going to have to address some of the pride and anger in our lives. So we talked about humility and that we could strive to have more humility in our lives. And as we strive to have that kind of humility and, and kind of uh, destroy the pride in our lives, that that helps turn down the drama. And as we, as we really try harder to love those around us, uh, that the anger dissipates a little bit in our life, and we can, we can turn down the drama that's caused by pride and anger. But what happens when the drama has already occurred? That we're now in a situation where something has happened, there's been some drama, it's, it's too late to turn it down because it's already happened, but we can choose how to respond now. And maybe it's over something that somebody has said. Have you ever had someone say something to you that upset you? Something that maybe offended you or hurt you? Have you ever had somebody gossip about you or start a rumor about you? Or maybe not stop a rumor and even add to it? Have you ever had someone treat you awfully or guilt trip you or get in your face for, for no good reason? Maybe get upset at you or something that seemed really trivial. 
Or maybe I should ask the question from the other perspective. Have you ever said something that may have upset someone? Have you ever said something that offended someone or hurt them? Have you ever found yourself gossiping or starting a rumor or not stopping a rumor? Have you ever treated somebody awfully or guilt-tripped someone or got in someone's face for really no good reason at all? Have you ever found that you've got upset over something that really was pretty trivial? You see, this drama has happened. Maybe someone said something, maybe you said something, and this relationship has now been affected. That friend, that family member, that, that colleague at work, someone here in church, they've said something or they've done something and it's upset you. Now, they may know that they've done this. Maybe it was intentional. In the heat of the moment, they said something, and they just kind of blurted out what they were thinking, and now they wish they could unsay it, but it's too late because you heard it, and it cut like a knife. The wound went really deep. Or maybe, and sometimes this is even worse, they, they don't even realize that they've hurt you. They said something or did something, and they didn't realize how it would actually affect you. And now you may not be letting on, but you're hurt it really affected you, maybe even angry, and possibly both. So when that happens, when someone hurts you in some way, when somebody says something that offends you, how are you going to respond? Well, I think, I was thinking about this this week, I think there are two ways that we naturally respond. I don't think either one of these are good, but they're kind of the ways our go-to default responses. The first is that we try to cover it up. We just try to pretend it didn't happen and we, we just kind of suppress it and think, oh, I'm just going to bury that somewhere. But here's the problem with covering it up. We just had a, a group of teenagers get back from youth camp. They had a fantastic time. Almost 20 of our teens from Connect went down to youth camp. I got to pick them up on Friday and they were telling all these stories about what a great time they had. And there were middle schoolers and high schoolers. And I'm sure that none of them did this because they're all wonderful, um, clean kids. But I've got a feeling that maybe some of those kids at camp, they didn't shower quite as regularly as they may have done had they been at home with mum and dad around. I can remember... When I was a kid, when I was younger and um, uh, discovering this wonderful, invention, this wonderful invention called spray-on deodorant. This is awesome. If I have to shower, it's going to take ages, like five, ten minutes. But this stuff, psst, all set to go. <laughs> like ten seconds. I could go days without a shower. Just spray away. <laughs> spray my body, spray my clothes, a little bit of my head. You know, and I'm good to go. But, but mums and dads and all of us out here, we realize that in reality, that is not the case, is it? I mean, it may be a temporary fix, but as the day wears on and the deodorant wears off, <laughs> the stink starts to come through, doesn't it? You may have covered it up just for a little bit, but the reality is that as the day goes on, that stink is going to come through. You know, I think hurt and pain and resentment, they behave just the same way. Someone says something that offends us and we just try to cover it up. We pretend it didn't affect us, but it actually gets worse and worse. And eventually that stink of bitterness starts to come out. It starts to affect the way we behave. It even starts to affect the way that we treat other people. So covering it up, I don't think, is a great solution. You know, sometimes we do this, don't we? We tell someone else. We're mad. We need to make sure that someone else knows what's happened. You're not going to believe what so-and-so said to me. Or guess what this person did to me. I'll tell you. Hello? Yeah, let me tell you what just what happened. You're looking to, to build support for you and against them because somehow that makes you feel better. But it doesn't really, does it? It kind of adds to the problem. In fact, it increases the problem. 
I found this quote this week from Ronald Reagan, the president. He said, I've always believed that a lot of the trouble in the world would disappear, disappear even, if we were talking to each other instead of about each other. What wisdom right there. I think that a lot of the drama in this world would disappear if we were talking to each other instead of about each other. Instead of covering it up or instead of gossiping, I think we need to learn to confront in love. In fact, that's the big idea of my message this morning is that we're looking to confront in love, not gossip in hate. That's how we need to handle the relational drama, those relational conflicts that will develop in our lives. And this isn't just my idea. Jesus himself talked about this. I got the idea for this message from from the words of Jesus himself. One of the four writers of the Gospels, a guy by the name of Matthew, he tells the story of Jesus' life. And in Matthew, he, uh, he gives an account in Matthew chapter 18 of, of Jesus talking about relational conflict, talking about drama and how we as followers of Jesus should resolve that drama. So listen to what he says in verses 15 through 17. The words will be up on the screen if you want to follow along. He says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take care to, or take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, I hope it never comes to that level here at Connect, but I think Jesus gives us some real wisdom here on how we should behave, how we should respond when, when someone says something, when somebody offends us, when, when relational drama takes place in our lives. So what I want to look at this morning, based on on what Jesus was teaching here, is I want to look at the who, the what, and the how of conflict. I want to look at the who, the what, and the how of resolving conflict, resolving that relational drama in our lives that Jesus teaches us. I want us to learn how to deal with drama the Jesus way. I want us to learn what it looks like to confront in love instead of gossip in hate. So first off, let's, let's talk about the who here. Okay, in that, in that passage, in that very first verse, um, it says that he's, um, if another believer sins against you. That's the who that Jesus is talking about. So it's important we understand this. He's actually talking to um, people that in, in, in his context were the disciples, people that were following, who had already chosen to follow and believe in Jesus. So he's talking there in that day to to people who are followers, believers in Jesus. And as we read it today, he's talking today to those that would say they are followers of Jesus. He's not just talking to anyone and everyone. He's talking specifically here, says it's saying, if another believer sins against you. So in our life, there could be someone who's hurt you. It could be a family member, a work colleague, a neighbor. Um, It could even be someone that goes to church with you. But Jesus is narrowing it down, saying, listen, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. It's if another believer, someone who who would say that they are a follower of Jesus. So what exactly does that mean? 
You know, from time to time, we'll, we'll come back and kind of visit this at Connect because I never want to make the assumption that we know exactly what that is. So um, there's a verse that helps me. It's in Romans, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And it reads as follows. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, you will be saved. I think that's kind of like a real simple explanation there of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You see, I think that it's more than just trying to be a good person, although that's good. But being a follower of Jesus is more than just um, working hard to do right or working hard not to do wrong. It's not just about going to church regularly, although that's fantastic as well. It's not even just saying, well, I believe in God. That's awesome. But I think it's even more than that. It's actually saying, no, I, I don't just believe in God. I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. I believe that he lived historically, and I believe that um, he was more than just a man, that he claims to be the Son of God. I believe he was the Son of God. I believe he died, and I believe he rose again, and I believe he had to. Because in his death and rising again, he was able to kind of die in my place. There was this separation between God and I. And no matter how good I am or how hard I try, I'll never be able to bridge that gap between God and I because of what the Bible calls sin, the wrong things in my life. So Jesus, he became this perfect sacrifice so that we, through a relationship with Jesus, can bridge that gap and have that relationship with God. We can know that um, assurance that when we die, that we will spend eternity in heaven with him. And I love to share that from time to time here at Connect because I think sometimes we think, well, I'm trying really hard to be good or I come to church every week and, and all of those are great. But at the end of the day, this verse kind of wraps it up. How are you viewing Jesus in your life? Because a true follower of Jesus, somebody that's a follower of Jesus is somebody that confesses with their mouth that he is Lord and believes in their heart that he raised, that God raised him from the dead and is now saying, Jesus, I want to follow your teachings I want to follow your plan for my life. I want to do the best that I can because of what you did for me. So that is a follower of Jesus. So when Jesus was talking about this, he says another believer, that was the kind of people he was talking about, hurts you, sins against you, offends you. So this is great advice, and you could try this if someone has upset you, maybe a friend, a neighbor, your boss at work, whatever it may be. But the reality is Jesus is saying they can pick or choose. They can decide whether or not they want to respond correctly. But if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, this isn't a choice. This is how Jesus is saying we as believers should behave. Those who have been offended and those who have offended, there needs to be some confronting in love. So that's the who that Jesus is talking about. He's saying this is the way that believers are to resolve conflict with one another. That is the who. So what's the what? <laughs> that's a good question. What's the what this morning? Well, the what is what Jesus calls sin. He says if another believer sins against you. So what does he mean by sin? You know, that's, that's quite a big word. The, the Greek word for sin literally means to miss the mark. 
to miss the mark. So I was thinking about an illustration to kind of define that. And I thought about, you know, have you ever been to those carnivals and there's all sorts of games? They've got, um, you know, you throw a dart to hit a card or you've got to get a basketball in a hoop or a ping pong in a mason jar. And, um, you know, the, these games, there is a specific target and a specific goal. And that's the only way you can win these incredible $1 prizes that you're paying $5 to pay. Now, I kind of wish we were back in England last summer and we went to a kind of carnival near where my parents live and there was a great game there where you paid money and this was it. It was called the Crockery Smash. Now, I loved the Crockery Smash. Basically, you paid 50p, um, which is about almost a dollar, and uh, you got three balls like baseballs. They're actually cricket balls, but uh, we'll call them baseballs for you guys, okay? So um, you got three balls and you got to just throw them at rows of crockery, (laughs) mugs, plates, What a great game. There's no mark, prize, target. You just get to smash things. You miss the cup. You hit a plate. It's win-win. And I watched my kids play this. They just thought it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant. Who doesn't want to throw hard balls and see plates smash? But unfortunately, not all carnival games are like that. Most carnival games, you only win a prize. And actually, in this particular game, there was no prizes. You just paid and you smashed things. The prize was just the feeling you got as you walked away, having known that you just smashed a plate completely. But those games you play, if you miss the target, you don't win the prize. There is a specific mark. So when Jesus is talking about sin, he's saying there is a specific mark in life. That mark is living perfectly. So every time we miss that mark... It's because we've done something wrong. We've, the Bible calls it sin. We've fallen short of that standard. Now, unfortunately, that's quite a large area to cover. That, that kind of covers everything from a minor offense to the most heinous of crimes. And Jesus doesn't clarify, does he, at what level we should confront. He just says, if, if someone um, sins against you, let's read it again. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. He doesn't say what kind of sin. So some of you this morning, you're already excited about where this message is going. You're like, yes, finally I can start to get some of this sorted out. In fact, you're going to come to me after the service and say, Dave, it would be really helpful if I could set up a table and a chair in the foyer, and then every Sunday I can have people just kind of line up. Okay, you, yep, over here. Last week, I saw you take that donut. You know that's my favorite donut. I was going to get it, and you grabbed it right before I did. You offended me. Oh, hold on. There's there's the guy that parked in my space. Over here, buddy. Come here, because I park there every week. And and before we know it, we've got this long list of things because, because some of us, the truth is, we can be a little bit too offendable, can't we? Is that even a word? We can get offended too easily. So if we're not careful, we'll read this and we'll think, right, well, I'm going to go and start talking to everyone about everything that they've ever done to upset me. I'm not sure that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. And then you have other people who are the other end of the spectrum and, and they're the other extreme and nothing seems to offend them. Someone will say something about them, and they'll be like, I'm sure he didn't mean it. I'm sure he was just having a rough day, you know, because they're, 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 they're very laid back. So somewhere between those two, I think, is who Jesus is speaking to. So if you want to try and figure out, well, where is it that, that when is the right time to confront? When should I go and speak to this person? Well, the main challenge I want to get across this morning is that we confront in love instead of gossiping in hate. So if you find yourself in a situation now or in the future where you're getting caught up in gossip or bitterness or anger, 
you probably need to go to that person. If you can't shake off what they said, if you can't shake off what they did, you probably need to go and have a conversation with that individual. You may need to confront in love. You see, Jesus really felt that this was an important thing. In another part of Matthew, he talks about it on a a similar subject. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 25. He says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Jesus is saying that this is so important. Sometimes it's actually even more important than worshiping God. You may come and you're, you're ready to worship God and God's saying, hey, I don't know that you're ready to worship me because you've still got to resolve this issue in your life. When it comes to the what, Jesus is saying there is some urgency to this. You need to get this sorted out because contrary to popular myth, time does not heal all wounds. Conflicts will not mend themselves. People don't get over insults and injuries. Instead, unresolved conflicts kind of scab over. They go underground and then they find themselves surfacing later, sometimes with even greater fury, animosity, or coldness. That's why relational reconciliation is hard work and there's some urgency. We need to take care of it quickly. And there's a right way to do it. Sometimes there's a wrong way to do it. I actually remember, I was a a part of a church once where um, from time to time the pastor would speak on this, this subject, maybe even using these verses. And in the middle of his message, he would say, there are some of you here today, believers, followers of Jesus, that you have a problem with someone else in this room. And we need to get that resolved. Jesus said we're going to do it now, so we're going to do that right now. We're going to pause in the service. We're going to take about five minutes. Now's the time. You see people just all bow their heads quickly and pray. And I think some of them were praying, thinking, God, is there anyone? They were trying to think. And other people were like, God, please don't let it be me. Please don't let it be me. And then you look around, and there'd be some people would have like four or five people in the line waiting to talk to them. And you're like, oh, my goodness. So I don't know that that's the exact place to do it or the best way of doing it. But Jesus is saying, there's some urgency here to take care of this. Because the longer you let it go, the more it will eat you up inside. But when you do it, there's a right way to do it. As I was preparing for this message, I came across um, in a commentary that was talking about this passage. The writer said, above all else, go to him with the idea of winning your brother, not winning an argument. Because it's possible to win the argument and lose your brother. The commentator was saying, you know, when you go, the idea here isn't to have an argument to prove you were right, they were wrong. You, you want to restore a relationship here. You know that something that was said or done, and they may not even know it, has affected your relationship. And you want to, to restore that, especially those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus and fellow believers, fellow followers of Jesus. So the how is about responding quickly. And the heart in which you do it. And notice this. I love this about the verse. I'd never noticed this before, but I'm going to read it again. It says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Singular. He's saying, don't go and tell them everything they've ever done. 
or what it is about them that you don't like, I'll tell you why I want to talk to you because I hate it when you do this and you do that and you're always saying this and you're always saying that and you're a mean person. Yeah, yeah. That's not what Jesus says. He says, go to them and point out the offense. What happened? And I know that some of you are here this morning, you're thinking, but Dave, that's so hard. It's going to be a really awkward conversation. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's, it's not easy for me to talk to someone like this. Well, good. That means you're ready. If that's how you're feeling, that means you're ready for that conversation. Because if you're here this morning and you're already texting the person because you're like, oh, yes, it's going down. He preached about it. I'm, I'm, we are talking today. It's on, buddy. Let, we need to talk. And I can't tell you why, but you better... If that's the spirit in which you're going, you're probably not in a good heart to have that conversation. The reality is if you're kind of nervous, if you're, that means you're in the right place because there's a part of you who doesn't want to get into this conflict, doesn't want to get into this confrontation. But if you want to turn down the drama, if you want to resolve that drama, sometimes it means that we have to confront in love instead of gossiping in hate. You see, that's the message Jesus is communicating here. He's saying there will be relational drama in your life. But when it comes to turning down the drama, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. So as we start to to kind of wrap up these thoughts this morning, I want to think through these ideas of, of how we have that conversation. How do we start that conversation you know, we talked about this earlier, didn't we? The, uh, the fact that here at Connect Church, we believe in connecting. And we believe in connecting because we believe it has value. We believe that it's wonderful to be here on a Sunday morning. I hope you enjoy uh, the services, and we love having you here every Sunday morning. But there is even um, a deeper way to connect. We have people that, as well as coming on a Sunday morning, they're part of the small groups. They're part of um, our serving and ministry teams. And because of those connections in their life, because they're connected to other followers of Jesus... Not only are they able to resolve these conflicts as and when they happen, but sometimes when they run into these conflicts where they just can't seem to to resolve it, they're in a community where they can go to someone else. Maybe it's their small group leader. Maybe it's a friend from Connect. And and the, the relationship is such where it's not a gossiping relationship. It's like, hey, I know you love me and I know you love this person as well and I just I'd love to be a part of a conversation with the three of us because we we're trying to resolve this but you know I feel like I'm right and they feel like they're right and it's just really hard so we've kind of reached this stalemate and having those relationships here in the church that, that sometimes are hard to form just on a Sunday morning Those deeper relationships really only come over time as we get more connected through small groups or maybe uh, you're part of a Connect Kids team or the youth leadership team, whatever it may be. But but you have those connections then. But when you hit that stalemate, there is someone else that you're able to go to. This happened to me recently, actually. Um, Some some great friends of ours, Casey and I, and um, unfortunately, they'd been through a divorce, mom and dad, and um, there was just some some struggles with their their kids. The kids were having a hard time, and um, it was just difficult, and there'd been some conversations with, with both sets of parents. And there was just a difficult conversation going on between the kids and the dad, and, and one day, I get this phone call, and they're like, hey, would you come and sit in on this conversation with us? This was teenage kids asking if I would do this. I said, I'd love to. And I was great friends with the dad and the mom and the kids. I said, I would, I would really uh, be honored to. 
It was just really mature on the part of these, these kids who were followers of Jesus and felt like they tried to do it the right way. They tried to follow the advice Jesus had given. They tried to have these conversations, but it was just difficult because there was, they, they felt they'd reached this roadblock where um, one person saw it this way and another person saw it this way, and it just always turned into like a volatile conversation. So I went over and I got to sit in the living room and pray with this family and then sit down. And, and really, that's all I did was I just kind of sat there and listened as the conversation took place. And it was just wonderful seeing it because it was a really difficult conversation. And there were times where, where tears were shed and things were said. And, but you could see that everyone in the room wanted to reach some kind of relational breakthrough. They wanted to turn down the drama. They wanted to, to get through this, but they couldn't do it. And it was a real humbling opportunity for me because I felt like it wasn't like I was there preaching or teaching or I was just able every now and again to say, well, actually, you know, maybe you need to understand that this is how this person sees it. Or maybe you, have you ever thought that maybe this is how they see this? And was able to just to kind of be a part of the conversation. At the end, we got to pray together and both the parents and the kids all came to me after and said, thank you so much. It's, it's going so much better since then. But, but to me, the highlight of that whole thing was the bravery of these kids who could very easily have just, you know, thought, forget it, we'll, we'll push this down, we'll cover it up, we'll talk to mom, we'll talk to our friends, we'll talk to dad, and, and I think that just would have made the problem worse and worse. But even at a young age, these kids were like, no, as followers of Jesus, we want to do this right, we want to resolve this, we want this relationship to be whole. So I hope and pray if there's situations in your life, people that you need to confront in love, that that conversation will go well and the relationship will be strong enough that you will be able to have that conversation and work that out. And maybe there's some forgiveness that needs to be asked for and some forgiveness that needs to be given. And it'll restore that relationship. But if you hit that impasse, if you feel like, man, you just both see it a different way, then maybe I hope there's someone who you trust in this community here at Connect that you could invite into that conversation and just sit in and be a part of that conversation. Because Jesus is saying, listen, this isn't just advice. As followers of Jesus, this is how we are to handle the relational drama in our lives. And it's difficult. They're difficult conversations to have. But on the flip side, once we're past that conversation, we'll see such stronger, healthier relationships because we chose to confront in love instead of gossip in hate. Let me close out with this last thought for you this morning. There's a book uh, written by uh, a great pastor and uh, writer and teacher. His name is Bill Hybels. Uh, he's the pastor of a big church up in Chicago, and the book's called Axiom. And it's just a wonderful book full of all these different leadership principles, things he's learned in his 30 years of ministry, things that he applies as he leads his church and as he leads his staff and as he leads people as a follower of Jesus and a pastor of a church. And there's just some wonderful bits of advice in all areas of leadership. But on the relational side, talking about dealing with people relationally, he talks about this idea of this tunnel of chaos. He says, from time to time in your lives, you're going to go into the tunnel of chaos in your relationships. He says, the tunnel of chaos is a, is a, a journey you have to take. It's a, um, a path you have to go down to get from pseudo-community to true community. He says, sometimes you'll be in this pseudo-community where you're pretending that everything's fine, but there's an issue with you or someone else. And, and on the surface, everything seems fine, but you're hurt. There's something inside that's upset you. 
And you need to talk to that person. You need to make this right. Because pseudo-community isn't a fun place to stay. But in order to get to true community, he says you've got to go through what's called the tunnel of chaos. The tunnel of chaos is that conversation. It's sitting down with someone saying, hey, can we talk? Sure, what's up? Well, I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of weeks ago you said this, and it really hurt me. I'm sure you didn't mean it the way you said it, but, but this is how I took it. And, and he talks about this tunnel of chaos, this uncomfortable conversation. But he says, in the midst of that, as followers of Jesus, if you'll choose love and if you'll choose to try and win a brother and not just win an argument, then you will get through the tunnel of chaos to this destination of true community. But he says this, and I love this. He talks about the final 2%. He says, when it comes to the tunnel of chaos, he says, there's a final 2%. And so often in these conversations, we miss complete breakthrough because we hold back just a little bit. He said, in every conversation, let me challenge you to have that final 2%. To have that conversation, to share what was on your heart. But then maybe you've only shared 98% and you're like, well, things are already a little bit better. But if I leave at this point, if I stop at this point, I don't know that I'm going to experience true breakthrough in this area. So I'm going to do the final 2%. I had this happen to me just recently. Wonderful couple in this church, great friends of mine. They were talking through some stuff with me. And um, as we were talking, we were talking about some misunderstandings, some things that happened. And we had just a wonderful conversation. And then towards the end of the conversation, this guy said to me, you know, I heard about this thing in this book once called The Final 2%. And, and I don't want to end the conversation here. I want to make sure that I've shared everything. And he said, there's, there's another 2% here. And, and we talked a little bit more about some other stuff. And it was just brilliant. Because I felt like we really were able to talk about everything. And I was so impressed and so proud of these guys, you know, for sharing with me everything. And and not just for stopping, but sharing that final 2%. So let me challenge you this week as you leave. And this whole idea of turning down the drama in your life, the reality is we're all part of relationships. We have family, work, colleagues. And some of these people, they're not followers of Jesus. They're not going to follow these guidelines. But some are. Some are people that we do life with, that we go to church with, that are related to us. And maybe we need to have a conversation. Maybe we need to confront in love and not gossip in hate. But let me challenge you this week. If you find yourself in that conversation, don't be afraid to stop short. Don't be afraid of of stopping short at 98%. Be be courageous and say, you know, I'm not just going to have the conversation. I'm going to give everything, even that final 2%, because I want to win this relationship back. I don't want to win an argument. I don't want to feel like I, I gave them a piece of my mind. I don't want to tell them everything that upsets me. I just, I feel like I need to address that offense, that one thing that happened, because I want to win this relationship back. I feel like that kind of love, that kind of resolving of relational conflict, it shows Jesus to the world in which we live. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we have... So much drama surrounding us, Lord, in every aspect of our life. A lot of it, Lord, we have no control of. It's external things that happen. It's the thing that someone said or the, um, the way someone treated us or the, the, the thing that somebody did. But we do in that moment, Lord, have responsibility of how we're going to react to that. We can cover it up. We can bottle it down. We can talk to everyone else that we know instead of the actual person themselves. Or, Lord, we could follow the advice that you gave to us as your followers. 
the who, the what, the how. We can, we can go to our brothers and sisters. We can go to these fellow believers. And it might be a really difficult conversation, Lord, but we truly want to do it the way that you've taught us to do it. So help us to be uh, the mature followers of Jesus that you've called us to be. And when this relational drama takes place, help us to handle conflict the Jesus way. We can't do this, Lord, in our own strength, so we ask that you would help us. And I pray especially this morning, Lord, I've been praying in preparation for this message that maybe there's someone here this morning that as they've heard this message, they know that following today, a conversation needs to be had. Would you give them the courage, Lord, and the opportunity to have that conversation? And I pray that it would go so well. Even if it feels like chaos in the moment, that it will take them through to true community, the true relationship that you want. Help them this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.